0: Open with me to the book of James, chapter 5, verse 13 through 18 this morning. Congratulations to the Groats on a second baby daughter. Chris is with us this morning, and he was not with us last week at this time, because they were expecting a baby, and the Lord granted it. And some of you are on the meal train, and many of you who were not originally invited beat down the doors to get on it, and that is how we do it around here. Thank you for taking great care of the groats and pray for Hannah and for their new baby. Well, this week, our church will host a preaching workshop with the Charles Simeon Trust. There are a handful of these that are hosted throughout the country. We host one. There will be about 60 to 65 or so area preachers. Most of them lead pulpit men like me gathering to work on their craft, to work on the convictions uh, that go into preaching and the craftsmanship that goes into preaching. Pray for our preachers. Pray for me. This is my annual spring training too. I need it. Some Sundays more than others. Maybe that's obvious. But I do need tune-ups at least every year. So pray for our men this week. Also, uh, next week, uh, Jeremy Meeks, a friend of mine and one of our instructors this week, will be preaching for us from Revelation 17. So I look forward to hosting him and expect that you'll be great listeners for my friend and preacher. Well let's read our text together, James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Well, this is God's word for us this morning. Uh, my brother Drew, who's preached here before, is also a pastor and preacher, and he and I talk on the phone, sometimes daily, typically weekly. Sometimes those calls are long. Sometimes those calls are short. It's uh, I'm headed across the street in the car. I'm at a light. What's going on? And we'll just chat a bit, and then, all right, I'm done. you can hang it up. It's kind of an ongoing conversation he and I have, checking in on what happened last week, what happened last night, how the family is, how the church is. He's a great encouragement to me. And there are several triggers for prayer, you could imagine. Maybe it's the occasion of a bad day. Maybe it's the occasion of a good day. Frankly, it's about anything. Uh, Something I could use some insight on. My brother Drew often has context for the family and the church that he can help me with. Sometimes it's just to stay in touch because the relationship isn't just for the insight I might get from him, Um, but it's an end in itself, really. Well, James has addressed us on the matter of pride over the last handful of sermons in our series. Pride expressed in slander, in our use of wealth, in our, in our presumption, in our planning for the future. And now, he addresses us on an antidote to pride. And that is prayer. Prayer. God's mechanism for our humbling. I might say humiliation. Some of us could use that. It is a mechanism for our, our humbling. Prayer. Prayer certainly we pray when we gather, certainly we pray on our own. The Christian doesn't just have access to God when he or she comes to church, although there is a special matter and responsibility of prayer that we have together. And when Chris Gerber, one of our elders, led in prayer earlier, we said led led in prayer on purpose. And when I thank these brothers for praying, I thank them for leading us in in prayer, because that's what they do. So you're praying too. We all pray together. But there's an important matter of prayer for the Christian as well. And it's not natural to us because humility is not natural to us, and prayer comes from a place of humility. It's something that I think we'd all want to grow in, honest Christians, want to know God better than they do, obey Him more faithfully than they do, and And pray to him, we have enough commands like this, pray, 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 we have in this text. And it is something that we can get a little better at, each of us, by God's grace, with the help of his Spirit, who inspired this word for us, and who empowers our obedience, even as he opens our eyes to see it as good and true this morning. Uh, Three triggers for prayer, did you see them? Is anyone among you suffering? Well, that's an occasion for prayer. Is anyone cheerful? Well, that's an occasion for prayer as well, praise in particular. Is anyone among you sick? Any pivots to talk about getting the elders involved and, and others involved in praying, which we will get to soon enough. Many letters in the New Testament end on the topic of prayer. Sometimes it's the author praying for the readers. Sometimes it's instruction in prayer. Think of the Apostle Paul who said, pray without ceasing. This is James's pray without ceasing, as we'll we'll see. Well, simple enough. Three triggers for prayer. But something is off, and uh, you know it. There are some pickles in this passage on prayer. Heritage, we have a problem passage. Hear that in that old Apollo 13 uh, movie or history or um, audio on YouTube, if you can pick it up. Houston, we have a problem. Heritage, we have a problem. Passage, a problem passage is just a passage in the Bible that is not immediately clear to us. Now, the Bible is clear, certainly in the main things, it can be understood, but some passages require a bit of work. Uh, they present us with some puzzles, some things that aren't altogether obvious on the surface. This is one of those passages, and there may be a number of questions on any of, your, any of your mind. What are we to make of this oil? The elders are to come and to anoint the sick person with oil. What is that? Why is that? If I wasn't healed of something, is it because I didn't have the elders come and anoint me with oil? What is this matter of a prayer of, of faith um, if we don't pray with enough faith, or if our elders don't have faith in in praying for the sick, would that mean that they're not healed? And if we've had the elders pray for us and we weren't healed, is that because they they did it they did it wrong, or maybe didn't do it with with oil? We want to get it right. We have quite a few little instructions here. Uh, we want to know what God is saying to us. And there's questions on my mind as. As a preacher, like, James, why did you do this? He's so straightforward through most of the book. James is really plain. And the work, as we've seen in the book of James, is, is relating parts to parts. So, like, why did he say that there? And then if we can discern why he said something, where he said it, often it unlocks the power of the passage. As we read it in context, we can see how he is moving thought to thought at numerous times we've seen that throughout his book but James is fairly direct and and simple even it's it it was a book I picked for us in part because we just finished Hebrews and before that Leviticus it just seemed like we needed James and I warned you that James is hard and can be hard on the ear but that's because it's hard on the heart in a way it's hard on us but it's good medicine for us. It's very down to earth. But point is, it's straightforward. And why did James do this to the preacher here at the end? It seems like something is a little off. But as the preacher, I'm concerned to preach what James says uh, straightforwardly, plainly, confidently, not to pull the punch. Um, I could qualify, you know, five or six little points of. Of of, uh, of difference here where there's you know four or five views, and I'll run you through a handful through the sermon. It's just what we have to do from time to time. Uh, but I don't I don't want all those qualifications to hold back what James is promising. And it sure sounds like he's promising healing for the, the desperately sick when they call upon the elders to anoint them, to anoint them with oil. And I can tell you that we've done this a handful of times over many years as elders, and they're not always healed. And sometimes sometimes there is a profound recovery from sickness or healing, often with the help of doctors. And often it's the case that, that there is a similar type of healing without all of this garb and process. So how does it all work? I want to preach James confidently and emphatically, without burdening it down with qualifications, that he's making me a little uncomfortable. Because Jesus himself, you remember in John chapter 9, who sinned his parents or the boy for the child born blind? Neither, Jesus said. God would perform works through the child. It's an important point, isn't it? What did we learn from Job? James has mentioned Job. Doesn't he know the story? James prayed and Job prayed and cried out to God and, and he was not healed of his sores, but in the end, of course, but not right away, not in a way that, that this passage appears to promise. So, so how can I preach James faithfully, but then also, have you not missed something Jesus has for you? An important comfort that your sickness is not owing to your sin. We want to hold these these things together. It's an important pastoral issue. I don't think that God would have you and your sickness wondering, asking is fine, but in distress to find your spiritual failure as an explanation for your physical ailment. And that's an important point to make. And James is fighting me on this. And sometimes passages, you just have to let them stand and let the whole testimony of Scripture round things out over time or you bring in a few qualifications. But still, he's fighting me on this. Well, I actually think there's a fairly straightforward answer to all of that. And we will get to that a little later. Okay, our attention for a few moments here has been on the problems in the passage, or the problem of the passage. Now let's put our attention on the matter of prayer. The matter of prayer, which is where James wants our attention. First, God wants to hear from us in every situation and season. Of life now that's straightforward and it comes from verse 13 is anyone among you suffering well let him pray is anyone cheerful well let him sing praise awfully encouraging and absolutely true God wants to hear from us in every situation and season of life Now, I don't say God wants to hear from you because God is needy and needs attention and likes being the answer to your problems like in kind of a sick way some of us might like being the answer to other people's problems. No, God doesn't do anything in kind of a sick way. (laughs) We do most of what we do in at least kind of a sick way. No, no, not God. No, 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 I say God wants to hear from us not because he's needy, but because we need to hear that God wants to hear from us. And that's under the surface of that call to pray. So easy for us to hear that as a burden. James doesn't mean it as a burden. He means it as a great encouragement. Remember chapter 4, how he called us adulterers, those who have forsaken God, not in apostasy, but... But this church, as we'll discover and discuss, was in great trouble. And they were fighting and and quarreling amongst one another. And and their divisions between one another were owing to a division in their own soul. They were double-minded, double-souled, James says. And that's because there was a division between themselves and and their Lord. They were forsaking Him. And so we're told that God uh, opposes the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. At the center of the book in chapter 4, there was this call to repent. So the verdict or the evaluation that we've forsaken the Lord, but an appeal to repent and to turn to him. Well, that's great on the ear. And, And why does he say draw near to God and he will draw near to you? He shows grace to the humble and he gives more grace well, James is piling that on because the sinner needs to hear that. We all need to hear that. When we, when the, the God is working in us so that we come to our senses and we see our sin for what it is, it's very important to know that God stands ready to receive us and to hear our prayers. As the father receives the prodigal son back, so our father stands ready for us to draw near to him such that he will draw near to us. It's a beautiful promise. It sits under these calls to pray and to praise. God wants us to pray to him. He wants to hear from us in every situation and season of life. And I say every because between suffering and cheerfulness, well, you've got every season and situation in life. Well, let's reflect on on just this one verse for, for a bit. First trigger... For picking up the phone, for praying to God, is that of suffering. It's that of suffering. Thomas Brooks wrote Fervent prayer is the soul's contention, the soul's struggling with God. It is a sweating work. It is the sweat and blood of the soul. It's a laying out to the uttermost all the strength and powers of the soul. He that would gain victory over God in private prayer must strain every string of his heart. He must, in beseeching God, beseech him and so get the better of him. Reminds me of Jacob wrestling with God. And I can appreciate that word on the difficulty of prayer and the need to stay with it. And some of you strain with God in prayer, and you should. But I guess just speaking personally, I'm glad James didn't say so much. I'm glad he just says, is anyone among you suffering? And let him pray. In other words, prayer presents us with difficulty, and we wish that we were better at it. We wish we prayed more often. Uh, But here's a little help. The next time you're discouraged... The next time you're sad, the next time you're physically struggling, physically suffering, if you have money problems, if you have marriage problems, if you have physical problems, pray. Let him pray. Let her pray. Just pray. Well, we can pray with God's help through the Word and with the Psalms. We can read the Lord's Prayer and get some direction there. James isn't fussing so much here about getting the words in the right order. And just let me encourage you that when you're suffering in any way, it's just enough for your soul. And it's enough for you to know that God is pleased simply for you to open up the line, to talk to him about your struggle, to speak to him about your difficulty. Know that you have his ear. And what kind of suffering are we talking about here? Well, it's the oppressed kind of suffering. These Christians were in a community where those with the levers of power, the especially rich, were oppressing Christians. In some cases, rigging legal processes to arrest their land from them. There were folks losing their jobs and losing their homes and property. That happens in other places. It has happened throughout history. It could happen here. Christians oppressed by those who hate them. Christians oppressed even to an extent, sinned against by brothers and sisters in their own church, because many in this church were not responding well to those outside pressures. Some were trying to get the the pleasure and approval of those outside pressures by, by being hard on their brothers and sisters, and some, in their discouragement and distress, were just becoming difficult people, which we can all understand. When we're suffering, we can become kind of ugly, and sometimes at people that have nothing to do with our suffering. And some Christians in this church were on the receiving end of that quarreling and, and fighting. Even as many were involved in the fighting that was, was going on. So that's a kind of suffering that was, was happening. At the hands of enemies and even brothers and sisters harming one another deliberately. But it also includes every kind of suffering. Take a look with me at James chapter 1. Verse 2, it's where we began so many months ago, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, here it is, I just want you to see it, of various kinds. See, James is writing to a church with particular issues, but he's also writing to a church full of Christians with all the normal issues. And he wasn't satisfied to say merely trials of a particular kind. Those of you who are talked against and spoken against and, and stepped on. No, he says trials of various kinds. Uh, so take comfort when he says in chapter 5, Is anyone among you suffering? I take that to be a very broad net. And whatever kind of suffering you are undergoing right now pray okay back to chapter 5 well in response to financial struggles and trouble you may be planning for a new job or or a, a, making a plan for your finances in a struggle with a relationship, you may be making plans for more time and needed conversations. In your suffering with and in the body, you may be, may, be, may be making plans with a doctor or for a new diet. James would have you respond with prayer. So let that be the first thing we're about, even if we're doing other things in the context of our suffering. Now, here's a question you might not have been asking, but I do want to ask it. Who is doing the praying? Who's doing the praying? Well, of course, let him pray. Let him sing praise, he'll say in a moment. Uh, It's right and good that we should pray together as a church, and we do that. We do that anytime we meet in any setting, really. Small groups, Bible studies, our staff, our elders, and we do it here Importantly, when we gather as a church, and when you're walking down the hall and someone in church says, how are you doing? You might say, I'm doing fine. And, and maybe you're not totally doing fine, but it's a, it's a greeting. It was a kind greeting. And, and in the big picture of things, yes, you know you are fine because you have God's promises. But, but maybe if that question were asked and you were slowing down a little bit, you, you'd you let them in on some details. And you should do that. There should be people in our church that you share your heart with, and your difficulties with, and your pains with, known reason to walk the Christian life alone. But James doesn't say, well, then pray for him. He says, let him pray. And so I'm just going to put it on each of you this morning, that as you suffer, I want you to know that God wants to hear from you, and so I hope that you're compelled to pray. But you also must pray. We have a responsibility to go to God with our troubles. Speak to him. And this is a matter of individual responsibility. And you don't need the whole church to gather for you and with you to do that on Sunday morning. Pray from your heart. Pray to the God who made you. Pray to the God who is over the universe and even your very life in situations and situations circumstances. Well, what should we pray for? Well, in our suffering, we could use James's letter as as help. We should pray for joy in our trials and, and pray for God's Spirit to strengthen us to be steadfast in our trials so that we might be perfect and complete in the end. Pray for for wisdom from God to see how he is strengthening you and completing you and fashioning you. Because as we open this book, that is precisely what God is doing in our trials. He has a purpose for you in all of your pain. We could pray along those lines. When we pray, we should pray whatever our plans or whatever our petitions your will be done. We've been warned against presumption. And even to come to God humbly is to come to the maker of the universe and acknowledge that we're creatures. It's a humbling act. And in coming to him and praying, it actually lowers us so that we don't presume. But we should still pray, Lord, if it be your will. There are other cues for prayer throughout James's letter. Um, let him pray... Is, is, a, is a simple sentence, and I mean for prayer to come off simply this morning. But if you need to help knowing what to pray and how to pray, pray and, and with words and with approaches and with insights for prayer, well, God gave you His word. So maybe we're going to land James as a series here pretty soon, but maybe you would keep, keep a little bookmark in James for the coming months or year. And maybe it would be a book that while we have sat under its preaching for six months, maybe you would sit under James and with James as a prayer guide for six months. And then pick the next book of the Bible. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Any kind of suffering, make sure you're praying, and of course include the church. And use James's own letter to help you pray in specific ways. If anyone is suffering in any fashion, let him pray. Okay, now the second trigger. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. There's different kinds of prayers. And at our evening prayer meetings once a month, we work to grow in clarity as to how we can pray. There are prayers of Uh, Petition, where we ask God according to his word to meet our needs. There are prayers of thanksgiving, where we give thanks to God for answered prayer and for all of his gifts. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift, James tells us. Um, We confess our sins to God. There's a call to confess our sins to one another in this passage. That's a thing too. Um, But we should confess our sins to God. And God is pleased to forgive us when we do. Well, there's also prayers of praise. Praise to God for who he is and all that he is for us. A majestic God, a merciful God, a God who meets all of our needs generously. The source of every good and perfect gift. And prayers of praise and thanksgiving merge together naturally and one to another. And how can we help but not confess our sins? And and of course, we have much to ask God for because we're very needy. Even as we thank him for all that he's done for us, we know how much strength we need from him for the days ahead. But here he calls on those who are cheerful to sing praise to God. And And that's just prayer with a smile and a happy heart. And you say, well, shouldn't we praise God in our suffering too? Um, Yes, yes, you should do that too. But I actually take an encouragement from this simple insight. That James doesn't say, is anyone suffering? Well, let him praise God, because God is worthy of praise. Well, yes, and Job, acknowledged God's sovereignty and majesty in response to his suffering. We ought to do that. Scripture would lead us to do that. But James put the puts the accent for those who are suffering on petition. And I take that as a good, humble, pastoral acknowledgement of the circumstance and the situation of the sufferer in the church. And we can Come to our friends who are suffering with similar patience and similar emphasis. They're suffering, we're praying with them or instructing them to pray and directing them to God. Maybe we wouldn't say, well, praise God. Yes. Maybe we wouldn't say, well, make sure that you praise God. Maybe we would say, be sure to go to God with that. Be sure to plead with him for help and spiritual strength to get through it. Uh, I'm going to pray to God for you. And together we can give him praise because he is who he is for us and he doesn't change. See the order of things there? And you know, just being being cheerful doesn't mean that someone isn't suffering. Some, some who are suffering are cheerful. I have met very cheerful sufferers who, who would say... I don't know how this has happened, except God has granted an answer to my prayers and the prayers of my friends. But I'm going through this profound suffering and I would have it no other way. For I have come to know him better through my pain. I have heard that many, many times. And I pray my soul is ready to see God better When I enter a dark night. But even if my soul isn't ready, I pray I'll go to God for grace to grow in cheerfulness of that sort through a trial. Oh, He's there to give more grace. That's why that word more is there. We need it. We often need more grace than we even ask for or have prepared to ask for. When you're cheerful, Sing songs of praise. You can be cheerful because God is the giver of every perfect gift. So anything that's good in your life, you can be cheerful about. If you're cheerful about a good meal, you're cheerful about a good meeting with a friend, you're cheerful about a good day at work, go to God with that. Give him praise for that. Give him thanks for that. He's the giver of every perfect gift, James tells us. So that covers everything. And there's one thing in particular that he is the the giver of, the very best gift that we have been brought forth by the word of truth. So when you see sin in the world and you find sin in your heart, it's all over, inside and out. Give praise to God that he has brought us forth by the word of truth so that we can see sin for what it is and call sin for what it is and confess that we are sinners and confess our specific sins to God. And give praise to God that he's at work in you to see that. Give praise to God whenever you find cheer in your heart, whether for the general and the good gifts that he gives to you or the deep and the spiritual gifts that he gives to you in salvation and even in the satisfaction he brings to you in your trials. Is anyone suffering? Well, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Well, let him give praise to God. And singing is the particular manner in which he's said to give praise to God. My home is full of singers. Uh, one's trained, rest aren't trained, but they're singers, like your singers. And uh, especially when they're about as young as the two littles at four years old, before they're thinking about how other people are listening to them sing, uh, they sing more. And if it's good food, there's a little song. If if they're doing a puzzle and they love to do puzzles, then there's a song. If they're playing with dolls, there might be some dialogue and there might be a song. I'll tell you that there isn't a song when they're sinning against each other. There there isn't a song when others are sinning against each other in the house, uh, when the house is chilly Now, actually, the four-year-olds don't always know what's going on, so sometimes they're singing, and it doesn't make any sense. Like, don't you know that we are sinning? Um, don't, Don't sing like that, like this is a happy moment. You follow me, though, and as a dad, I love to hear my children sing. I love to hear them sing. It's the overflow of a heart that's happy, and for whatever reason. So you don't only have to sing to God for the gift of salvation and all that that involves. As a saved person, you can sing to God for any good gift he gives to you. For you know where all the gifts in life come from. And so a child can sing while making a puzzle or over a plate of food. And they don't know it, but like the rocks cry out in a way, it pleases the Lord. And we can pray that with children one day, those are songs of faith directed with intention and faith to the God of heaven who has given the gift that has cheered their heart. So sing to God. Sing to God on Sunday. We publish the songs on a little playlist in the Friday email ahead. Maybe that'll help you. Um, we send you out with an order of service with all the lyric texts to all the songs, so maybe that will help you. Take full advantage of those. Keep them within arm's reach for the week. Keep that order of service in your Bible with you. You need the Word, but the Word commands you to sing, so maybe that will help you help you to sing. Sing on Sunday. Sing out on Sunday. We're a good singing church, but, but don't let everyone else do the work for you. Contribute sing out. You're the choir. And Sunday we show up for choir. That's what it is. We Show up for a lot of things, but we also show up for choir. Sing on Sunday and sing between Sundays. God loves your songs. He loves it. He delights in the praises of his people. Now a question, why? Why does James put these two questions here and why does he call us to respond in our suffering with prayer and in our cheerfulness with praise? Well, by calling on us to pray in the good and in the bad, James is humbling us to receive all of life as under the providential hand of God. All of life. And it takes humility to receive all of life under the providential hand of God. By calling us to pray in the good and the bad, James is humbling us to receive all of life as under the providential hand of God. You see, when we're suffering, it takes humility to acknowledge that we need the Lord. And when our hearts are happy, it also takes humility to acknowledge that the Lord is why we're happy. (laughs) He made up happiness and he gave us anything that's making us happy. And if we're cheerful in trial, well, that's because he's so good to us that it overwhelms the trial He's even good to us in and through the trial to convert all of that pain for our good. Now, he's behind and under and in and over all of it. All of life's circumstances. And in, in suffering, is it not true, presents us with a temptation to pride. To try to muscle out a response and a fix in merely human strength as if we're God and we can fight every trial down. Or... Maybe we're not in distress and giving up in despair, but we're becoming difficult people in our trials. Dare I say it, the ugliest souls, the ugliest people, I don't mean physically, I mean to be with, are often people who have suffered greatly and poorly. There is a great spiritual danger for all of us in any of our suffering. That we would become proud. So let us pray in our suffering. It's not just an encouragement to pray. It is a humbling truth that we need to pray in our suffering. Hear it that way. Hear it both ways. But in our cheerfulness, on our sunny days, we have a temptation to pride as well. The, the, The writer of Proverbs said, um, don't deny bread from me and don't fill me up too much. If you deny bread from me, I might be tempted to steal. But if you give me too much, oh, I may be tempted to forsake my God. You see? So, so when the sun is up and all is well, and it's a good year for the business, and it's a good year for the home, and it's a good year for your schooling, it's just a good year, It's just a good day. There is the temptation to forget God. And it is a very proud thing to be a very happy Christian and not give praise to God. So be encouraged to praise God in song, but also be humbled to recognize that you need to praise God, lest you become proud and think that you are the source of the good things that have cheered your heart. James is humbling us to receive all of life under the providential hand of God, the good and the bad. Okay, now moving on to this more difficult section. And I won't belabor all of these points. Like I said, I think there's a straightforward solution, at least for me. God wants to hear from us when we are sick with sin. He wants to hear from us when we are sick with sin, verses 14 through 18. Let me take this in a few steps. We're going to reflect on a few words together, and then I'm going to make, I'm going to make an argument, and then we'll, we'll bring it home with some help for praying. First, elders, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him. Let's talk about elders. Elders are the spiritual leaders entrusted by God, appointed by his spirit through the work of a congregation's identification and appointment. Uh, The trusted leaders appointed by God in a congregation to provide spiritual oversight for a congregation, a church. They are part of God's plan for you and your care, and I know you know that, but it's just good to say it, and you know it because we've said it before from the pulpit, and of course, we've seen God do much good for us all through our elders. We have about 15 elders at Heritage. I'm the most public one for the the amount of airtime that I get for sure in preaching, but also the nature of preaching is a very public and central work. All of our elders are committed to it, but I am not the only elder. Um, I am a pastor here, but I am not the pastor, capital T, capital P. And sometimes someone has come to our church from another church, typically a smaller church, and they say, "I want to know my pastor." Um, or they'll say, I want you to know you are my pastor, and I want you to know that's not encouraging to me. (laughs) Hear me out. There are a lot of you. I'm one man. I would be delighted for you to receive the preaching of the word as a very personal investment on my part in you personally. So this is personal here. This is not impersonal. It's one on however many hundred, but it's not impersonal for me, speaking personally. But you need more than one pastor. And I know you need more than one because I need more than one. And so let us pray for our elders, even as you pray for me, your preacher, And let us thank God for elders, plural, all 15 or so of them here. And let us seek elders for counsel and help and prayer. Uh, Some are tempted maybe to make too much of elders or pastors. It's the same thing in the Bible. Um, Others are tempted to make too little. Uh, I don't need elders. Uh, You're here, but it's just kind of what you do You don't have time for pastors in your life and you're not interested and you sure wouldn't call on them for help. Um, Know yourself. Know your spiritual vulnerability. Elders are part of God's plan. Elders are plural. You need more than one. Elders. Now let's talk about oil. It is a vivid feature here. It's a concrete feature. The elders are to be called to the sick, anointing him with oil in the name of of the lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up so lots of different views throughout history on this in the catholic church this would be where that doctrine of last rites or holy unction comes from where a priest will come to your bedside as you're dying with oil and there's a little process and prayer by which all the last little remaining sin is removed from you so you can pass safely from here to heaven. And as one commentator put it, and I I like this, with all the love in the world, this has nothing to do with what James is talking about. So friends, with all the love in the world, this has nothing to do with what James is talking about. Uh, It's a good thing that when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sins. Be greatly encouraged that if you find yourself on a hospital bed, You don't need to hope that you can get one of those meetings and oil things in in just the right time before sinning too much, before you die. Don't stress on that. You look to a cross and you look to the God who sent his son, who took all of your sins for you. It's why he went to a cross. Didn't go to a cross to do some of it. He didn't go to a cross to die so that you could keep doing works in order to get grace from God for the forgiveness of sins more and more over time. Uh, confess your sins to God for restored fellowship, but know that your sins are paid for. It is a doctrine from hell. It is certainly not from James. Um, some say it's medicinal. So, oil associated with the medical practice at that time, good for many medicinal purposes. But why are they calling the elders? Elders are not physicians. Physicians. And how do we even apply that today? There are no other commands of the sort to go to elders for specific medicinal medicines for the application to our physical needs. I don't think that's the way out of the difficulty here. Um, Anointing with oil, we see to the Old Testament as part of the appointment to an an office. And um, don't think that's going on here. You don't get sick and you're laid up on bed and then you get made an elder or a deacon or find out that you'll be a missionary. I think that it is likely simply a physical representation of what God is doing spiritually and it is by the visual experience of it calling to mind the invisible things that God is doing in a moment such as this, which would have been a sober moment indeed of prayer. And that anointing as it was tied to the appointment of one to an office was simply setting apart one as holy. And there's a reason why I think that oil is used in this context for prayer to set one apart as holy. It's a sacred thing to pray. So let us pray soberly and seriously knowing that we're speaking to the God of heaven and even right here with this kind of high stakes moment laid out in the bed um, oil attends the event. A, a prayer of faith. There's different views on this. Um, some abuse the scriptures, I believe, to say that if you pray with enough faith, the right faith, that you will be healed. That's not it. Um, some say that this deals with spiritual sickness here, and so a prayer of faith hears the spiritually sick, heals the spiritually sick. We see forgiveness and and they'll be saved, offered. Um, But that doesn't seem natural to the text. Some say that this kind of healing is uh, specific to the apostolic age, you know, this first century period when the apostles were still around. But then why does James say, call on the elders? Others say, oh, this is a gift of healing that one or the elders would have, or a gift that they'd be given on the spot. And I've heard of some praying and having this great profound faith and certainty from God that this one is being healed on the spot. And there, and and accounts of a kind of healing. I've never seen the lame be given the ability to walk, and heard of that, but I have heard of some miraculous things God seems pleased uh, to do. But that doesn't seem quite right to me either. And you've got this matter of confessing our sins one to another, and you'll you'll be forgiven. What kind of sins? What sins? And and how does that? does that all work? Well, James, I've said, has preached a straight line and in plain ways. And sometimes if if you find yourself with, you know, 15 things that are a little tricky, maybe you're coming at it the wrong way, like fixing a dishwasher or fixing a car or the next thing. My wife had someone working on her eyes, five or seven appointments, and then she just got someone else and it was fixed, you know, with one appointment. Sometimes you just got to get a new doc. Well, in this case, maybe we need to come at this a different way. And I would suggest to you that the sickness in this passage is uh, the kind of thing don't turn there, I'll turn there for the sake of time, but the kind of thing that God, we're told, does uh, to those who are very hard on and sinful toward His bride. At least that's the common point we have with the Corinthian church. Maybe the only church in the New Testament worse than the churches that James is writing, that James is writing to. In the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Ooh, that's bad. When you come together for church, it's not even for the better, it's for the worse. When you come together for the Lord's table, it's for the worst. And then he says, it's not even the Lord's table. Jesus isn't showing up. It doesn't count. Um, some of their people who were more wealthy were showing up and eating and having a great time and neglecting the poor who would have to work and then come later. And there wasn't even any Lord's Supper left for them. Oh, and that was just symbolic of, of how they were being treated and treating one another in general. Let each examine himself. That's the context for that. Then, and so eat and drink of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, could be a reference to the bread, Jesus' body, I think it's a reference minimally to his body, the church, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why many of you are weak and ill, see? And some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged, which requires humility. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. I believe that what James is addressing here is a matter of the Lord's discipline. And I want to make a few arguments that it is that and not just natural sickness. Certainly it's not normal sickness like a cough. They're laid up at home. They have to call the elders to come and pray for them where they are. But neither is it, I believe, just natural, even end-of-life sickness. Although you are welcome to call the elders. You are invited to do that. But this passage, I think, speaks to something else. Now, I'm going to cash in all of our work in James briefly here. What comes before James? A deliberately designed letter in which James is addressing a very particular pastoral issue in a church that is quarreling and fighting one another, whom he calls for that reason adulterers and calls to repent a chapter earlier. And while it's not always clear how James always fits together, it is put together with that pastoral purpose in mind. I find it absurd, and I wouldn't have said this before preaching it. Absurd that here at the end of the letter, Paul would, excuse me, James would break for a paragraph to talk about sickness in general and offer some pastoral guidance like it's some type of general pastoral manual. James is on the move and he is moving his letter to a conclusion. What I think he is doing here is whereas he has addressed his readers in their sin and called them to repent, is it not reasonable that before the end of the letter, he would help them know how to be reconciled to one another when they do repent? Some cases apparently were really bad and some were laid up sick. Well, I can imagine as the readers read this, they know who that is. And as this reader reads this, they know who they are. A ringleader among the divisive in this church. And God has put them on their back so they can stare at heaven. And it's a loving thing. That's how much God loves his sheep. Protecting his church, but also pursuing that sheep in discipline. Knocking our legs out from under us so that we might not run any farther. Now, that's a bit of the context. I think the context of the letter lends itself to that. Add 1 Corinthians 11. Add Jesus' instruction that our sin is not owing, suffering is not owing to our sin. Add Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not even death or anything can separate us from his love. The apostles died, so this didn't work on them. I think the sickness here needs to be heard in that Context: walking into the passage in verse 14. Is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone sick? That's three is anyone's, and I think that begins a whole division of the passage at the end. That is one passage not addressing the sick and then the sinner later. Second, the content of the passage itself. Verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick typically salvific kind of language, and the Lord will raise him up, healing. And if he's committed sins, spiritual offenses, then he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins, pray for one another that you may be healed. So he's he's mingling sort of the physical suffering and ailment and sickness with this The spiritual healing and resolution language. I think the best solution to this is to see this as God laying someone up because of their sin. Knocking the legs out from under them. Which explains why they're to call the elders. Because they have messed with the church. The bride of Christ. And they are to call the leaders of the church. And not just to confess their sins to them. But to anyone that it's relevant for. Some of our sins we confess secretly to God. If you lust, you don't have to walk up to the lady and confess that, okay? Uh, maybe you need to speak with your wife about that. That can be a matter of offense against your spouse. But plenty of sins we can confess to God and should sincerely. Other sins we confess, you know, one-to-one to the person we've offended. Matthew chapter 18 helps us there. But in this case, confess your sins to one another. Uh, we don't have a passage quite like that in the New Testament. But we have it in a book where the writer is addressing a whole church that is largely fighting and quarreling public sins against many people at a time, this person needs to call on the elders and call on their brothers and sisters and confess their sins. And here's how the promise can be certainly and emphatically fulfilled, and I can assure you that if the Lord has laid you up on account of gross sin against his church and you call on the elders to pray and set you apart as holy with the oil in repentance you call on your brothers and sisters to confess your sins, you will be healed. Where God does this to somebody and where they repent, they will be healed. So to personalize this now, are you sick? Well, pray to God. It's a form of suffering. Pray for God to cheer your heart in your sickness and to give you joy in your trials. Are you sick and in bed so that you can't make it here? Well, you can ask the elders to pray for you. But you should ask yourself, Have I sinned in an egregious way against Christ's bride? Have I been double-minded? And even if God has not laid you up on account of that, it's always a good question to ask when we're down, when we're suffering. Feeling the curse in our bodies, we can remind ourselves that we're sinners and ask God if there's any wicked way in us. But I I happen to believe that the person that is laid up sick because God has put them there will know that they have something against the Lord. And if you'd say, I have been cruel to his bride, to Christ and his people, then call on the elders and repent of your sins and be healed. Are you in a church, or have you been in a church that has uh, been fraught with chaos and confusion because of these kinds of fights and quarrels going on? We'll pray that some who are sinning greatly will turn and repent. It is very difficult to find our way through or out the other side of church conflict often unless that happens. It is very confusing where the sins have laid. And so pray for those. And are you someone who has been greatly sinned against in the course of church conflict? You stand ready to forgive. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So call on the elders and they will pray in the prayer of faith. The Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Well, I have to think that's not not... Exactly, or at least only horizontal, but also, excuse me, vertical, but horizontal, forgiven in the context of their church relationships, which is it not, after all, the matter of this book? We turned from God, and so we need reconciliation with God, and He's about that, and He gives grace for it, but as we're divided between Him and reconciled, so we're, we're made whole inside, and so our relationships are made whole And as he brings his letter in for a landing, he's helping us know how to be made right with each other. So let us all be ready, no matter the conflict in our own church that may lay ahead, to be reconciled to one another. We will sin against each other greatly and be sinned against. That's why we land with this third brief point. That we can speak to God because God is ready to give grace. Because we have a God who gives grace to the humble. He has addressed us in our pride, and pride is the problem at the heart of this letter. And so no surprise, he has ended his letter with a matter of prayer, that which is at the heart of the solution to our pride. For pride humbles us, and pride keeps us humble. So friends, excuse me, prayer keeps us humble. So friends, your triggers for prayer I'll get them down to three for you. It'll help you to pray. Praying is simple. and You can pray anytime. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful today? Sing a song of praise to God. And are you sick with sin to any extent? And certainly if you're laid up and you know that you've been sinning against Christ and his bride, well, in that case, call on the elders to pray And we'll pray for you. And in all of this, remember the prophet Elijah, who had a nature like ours. James could have used him as an illustration of of healing of a sick widow's son. In 1 Kings 17 and 18, we have a very instance, but he didn't do that. He used Elijah as an illustration of a prophet who is calling his people back from their sin in judgment. And so, called on heaven to stop the rain, a drought imposed on them in order that they might turn to heaven because of a spiritual drought in their hearts. And in time, Elijah would call on heaven for rain and it would come. And that is the point of connection between Elijah and our readers and us when we need it. God is pursuing us to call us back from our sin. In judgment and he is very pleased to hear our prayers when we come to him humbly and when we do he has more grace for us let's pray well father we pray to you as those who need grace as those who are naturally very proud we pray to you as those who have heard a word concerning our trials we pray That you would humble us in our trials, that you would give us joy in our trials, so that we would not become difficult people or turn on one another, but they would see that you are working to complete us through our steadfastness. So give us wisdom as we pray to see that you are at work in our pain. And Father, when we are sinning egregiously against our brothers and sisters, When we have become two-faced and two-souled and double-minded, would you help us to become of one mind and to become whole, to seek you, to draw near to you with the knowledge that you draw near to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.